Hello, I'm Nanaba Duncan, and this is the Forced Change Podcast. It's a four-part companion piece to a special issue of Facts and Frictions, Fait et Friction, a journalism studies publication produced by J-Schools Canada. There are three episodes in English and one episode in French. Through this series, we are exploring how journalism educators changed the way they taught during the COVID-19 pandemic. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word trauma? That's a question Carleton University professor Matthew Pearson asks his students at the beginning of a lesson on trauma-informed journalism. It's part of an emerging field of practice that recognizes the ethical considerations journalists have to make when they're reporting on people and communities impacted by traumatic events. The practice involves a number of other things, including a solid understanding of what trauma is and how it can affect people, how to conduct sensitive interviews, the risks to journalists when they're exposed to trauma on the job, and the importance of mental health support and self-care after reporting on traumatic incidents or interacting with survivors of trauma. Because this knowledge is so valuable in newsrooms, there's also a growing demand to introduce the topic in journalism schools. So in this episode of Force Change, we're exploring how educators have engaged with the idea of bringing trauma-informed teaching into the classroom. In 2022, Professor Matthew Pearson and his team released the Taking Care Report. This outlined the findings of a survey they did about the current state of mental health across the media industry in Canada. The survey revealed an alarming amount of stress in all corners of the industry. So the panel you're about to hear is a response to that report. Professor Pearson wanted to explore what a trauma-informed journalist looks like. So he brought together Professor Serenez Barfrouch from the University of British Columbia, Kelly Roche from the University of King's College, and Duncan McHugh from Carleton University to join the discussion. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. I'm so glad that you're spending some time with us having this conversation. I want to begin by asking, are we effectively teaching journalism students to report on trauma and the people touched by it? Maybe I'll ask Saranas to begin. I think it's a really important question to ask whether we are really fitting it in our curriculums and in our pedagogy. But I think those are a little bit different. I think if we go by a class to class, you know, um, case um, and look at what what different instructors are talking about in their classrooms. I think issues related to trauma informed journalism are touched on quite a bit in in classrooms. But I don't think we are devoting a wholesome curriculum overhaul to include trauma informed pedagogy and teachings in our journalism curriculums. But I think in a class to class kind of scenario, a lot of instructors are trying to hit on issues related to trauma-informed journalism, especially post-COVID and post-pandemic, because, you know, mental health just became suddenly a really important aspect of our day-to-day lives, whether we're in journalism or not. So I think a short answer would be kind of, but not to the extent that we're seeing our students respond to it in terms of, yes, we've had the training that we need. Duncan, I see you nodding. Would you like to jump in? I'm going to echo what, what Sarnas says about, about kind of. But but I, I would 
having been teaching for for 15 years and a journalist for 25, I'd say we're doing a lot better <laughs> than we were when I first started out in in this business. Like a lot better. We're at least we're articulating that trauma informed journalism is a thing. When when I started, that was not a conversation that we had at all. So we are doing better than I would say the previous generation of journalists who came out of journalism schools. I'll give you some specific examples in my own teaching about where that conversation started, I would say five, six, seven years ago for me. When I started a course at the University of British Columbia called uh, Reporting in Indigenous Communities, I'm not sure that I was necessarily thinking of trauma-informed journalism in that context, but it was very clear that the kind of relationships that we were trying to encourage students to build as student reporters meant that they were necessarily delving into uh, trauma when they were talking with Indigenous subjects. We know that Indigenous people in this country experience trauma at four to five, severe trauma at four to five times the rate of Canadians. So you cannot do a story in Indigenous communities, which was what the course was all about, without, you know, encountering trauma in your question line. And we discovered that students were very nervous about embarking on the story at all because they were aware and experiencing this uh, early on in their reporting process. So for me, that's where, again, several years ago, within the context of this Indigenous reporting course is where we began to realize that students needed to have an extra level of discussion around how to do this respectfully, it was absolutely starting to incorporate that trauma-informed reporting conversation. I don't think it was in so many words a decade ago, but certainly within the past couple of years, we've become much more cognizant of that. Kelly, what's your perspective? I think we're starting to realize the impact, um, particularly as it relates to fake urgency, that I think collectively we have a really long way to go. It's fantastic that we're even having this conversation and starting to uh, address trauma in J schools. And like Duncan, I was never taught anything about trauma informed <laughs> anything in J school. I think we have a paradigm shift that has to take place uh, in that, you know, I still cling to some of those toxic notions and badges of honors in terms of, you know, rushing out to crime scenes. And I covered this horrendous story when I was a rookie reporter. Um, and uh, certainly the students are telling us that this is a topic they want to unpack. And this is a, an opportunity for us uh, to learn from them. Thank you for that perspective. I, like the three of you, I think my answer is sort of not really. And I would say that's despite the best efforts of the DART Centre and the Canadian Journalism Forum on Violence and Trauma, two organizations that have actually been working in this space for quite a number of years. Um, and I, so I think that what I've seen is that some of these skills may be taught here and there in reporting courses or in ethics courses, but it's often not part of the core curriculum. And so we can't guarantee that every student coming out of the program, regardless of what classes they took, has had some kind of introduction to it. I also think there is a tendency to introduce this topic in the scariest way possible. Uh, instead of walking students through the effort and care we might have taken at some point in our career to establish trust with a source in order to tell a difficult story, 
I think there's kind of a tendency to talk about the hardest thing we ever had to cover and the awful memories of a death knock or a cold call or waiting for hours at the scene of a violent crime, almost as if it's like a badge of honor. Um, and all of those things may be true. We probably did all of those things, but we might overemphasize the grim side of reporting on stories that involve trauma and less on the ways in which we developed some acuity for doing it, even in the absence of training. The last thing that I was going to, to add is that I don't think that we're alone in this. I think that, you know, there was a paper that I just read from 2019 that was a sort of survey of what's happening in accredited American journalism schools. And the numbers there are also surprisingly low. It is not as though journalism schools in Canada have this hole that journalism schools in other countries have filled. I think it's actually like a global absence of this stuff in curricula writ large. I'm so grateful you touched on that because I also think while it, it is a shortcoming from journalism schools that we don't include it or globally it's not included, but also even having the chance to think about trauma-informed journalism or pedagogy is a luxury that a lot of countries and societies don't have and communities like Duncan hit on so importantly don't have the ability to wait and think about what's happening to their journalists' mental health. You know, having done journalism for a decade in Iran and thinking about my colleagues there right now, it is something that is needed, but there's so much, um, you know, the heat of the moment and the rush to get the story or the consequences that come with that are so hard to think about or, or articulate in the classroom in different countries that I think it is still trauma-informed journalism and pedagogy is really important, but it is still a country to country, a culture to culture, a community to community approach is needed because I don't think it's a one size fits all um, kind of lesson plan that we can put out there. So I do think it's really important that we note that it's hard to tackle this issue everywhere. And it's, it's important that we have the privilege to talk about it here. You mentioned the, the importance of, of having the privilege, but I want to pick up on, on things that you and Kelly both said, Serenaz, is, is that I think it's the students who are pushing the profs in many cases to start having these conversations in the classroom. You, you both mentioned the impact of the pandemic, which we all had to deal with, and, and the students' mental health. I think that this younger generation of soon-to-be journalists are much more comfortable and aware of their mental health and talking about mental health than certainly my generation. And it's them that are bringing this to the classroom and saying, I don't, I don't feel uncomfortable. <laughs> I feel challenged. You know, give me some tools, help me have this conversation. That's what I've been experiencing in the classroom is that they are looking for this conversation to happen and we haven't been providing it for them, which is why the past couple of years have, I think we have begun to see, you called it a paradigm shift. I think we're at the beginning of a paradigm shift by, because the students are asking for it. A hundred percent. I agree with you. I think it's a reckoning that we are being asked to kind of come to in every class we have with students when they ask us, OK, so how do I deal with, you know, a victim of this crime or a person who's been through a natural disaster or a person who's been through systematic racism? 
we are being asked these really important questions. And I, I completely agree. What, what I'm trying to hit on is that in some places of the world, there isn't this chance to wait and ask. And that's why having these conversations wherever we are is so important to understand that, you know, even if students are asking for it, if the society is, is taking us to a place where there's a, a lot of discussion about mental health, we have to stop and think, okay, how are we going to incorporate these in our classrooms to help students further? But I completely agree with your assessment that this is something that we're being asked day in, day out by our students. Let's talk about students. Between the four of us here today, we have taught or are connected to a number of journalism programs across the country. I'd love to hear uh, and maybe drill down a bit to what specifically we hear from students when it comes to training on trauma-informed approaches to reporting. What do you hear from students in terms of their needs in this area? Well, I think they are very open about their mental health and they expect us to meet them where they're at. And I think that involves a bit of a holistic approach in the classroom as well as in the campus newsroom. I did include trauma-informed language in my syllabus this past semester. And I think for me, that was a way of getting ahead of it a little bit and saying, uh, you know, I'm on it. I know that this is what you're looking for. I see you all as individuals with very different needs and with very different backgrounds. I think part of that is tapping into your emotional intelligence as an educator. You know, if I know that a student has a number of, of mental health challenges, um, pre-existing or perhaps some systemic issues, I'm going to be a lot more mindful of what I assign them. And that doesn't mean that you can't give them a story where they're going to struggle because of course there's, there's all sorts of learning, um, in that. I think it's just seeing them as a whole person and, you know, not the way that, that we all came through newsrooms and that we were just another body that the desk can assign a story to. Yes, that resonates with me. I think that from what I hear from students, um, particularly when I started first talking about this, there was a question of why isn't this in the core curriculum? I think, as you've said, Kelly, they want to acknowledge and talk about mental health and trauma. They're doing that. I think they see people doing that in their, in the spaces that they follow on, on Instagram or TikTok or other places. And so they, I think, are, are more comfortable in that language of talking about their feelings. I've sometimes joked that the industry isn't very good at talking about its feelings. And I think we are seeing a generation of journalists who are actually quite good at talking about their feelings and in really uh, clear ways. In my experience, I also find that students are quite appreciative when we create space for these conversations. And I think what I have seen in my own classroom is that students feel safer to bring their whole selves to a classroom where we acknowledge at the outset that trauma is both something that we may encounter in our work, but what I what I you know am clear about in my classrooms is that it is also something many of us have encountered already before we've ever walked into this classroom and before we've ever walked into a newsroom is that that we have those experiences and we carry them around with us wherever we go and that I can't create a classroom in which that doesn't exist for you. So I think them feeling like they can bring their whole selves to the classroom uh, and that these things are sort of talked about allows them to maybe um, raise concerns about not wanting to do a particular kind of reporting or what I often hear more of is being curious about how they might do a particular type of reporting 
and keep themselves safe. And an example that comes to mind is a number of students who I've taught over the years who have some experience with violence in their own lives, but are also then drawn to reporting on certain stories that involve violence. And it is, while it is once difficult for them and maybe triggering for them, I think I hear from some of those students that they also feel like they have a window into that story that is informed by their own experiences and maybe makes them more sensitive. I think that's the kind of thing we should be encouraging. Well, so I have experienced that in terms of students who have some lived experience with some of the difficult stories that they're reporting on and want to have an extra level of sensitivity. But I'm going to, I'm going to look at another group of students, which are again within the framework of an indigenous reporting course. Uh, students who don't have any experience reporting on, say, a racialized community or a, a different gender or a different sexual orientation know that there could be trauma involved in, in that discussion and don't know whether A, it's appropriate for them to be doing the story at all <laughs> and then B, how to go about it. That I, I think that I spend a lot of time in the classroom on that front end. You know, we talk about before, during and after care in trauma informed reporting. For me, I spend a lot of time at the front end in the before part, having discussions with students about how to broach a complex topic like residential schools, for example. Many students are interested and are learning that in, that material and, and information for the first time. They understand the importance of journalists tackling that kind of subject matter, but they're just not sure. A, again, I'll, I'll say whether A, it's appropriate for them to be, to be asking those kinds of questions and then B, how to go about it. So my answer to them is always, yes, it's absolutely, not only is it appropriate, it's necessary that journalists are getting into these conversations. You know, once they have that kind of comfort or a seal of approval, if you will, then we can start to discuss about, about appropriate ways to get into that conversation with a subject. So that's, that's the challenge that I'm seeing more often is people who are extremely sensitive and young journalists who do not want to do any harm, but they're deeply concerned that reporting at all on the subject may do some harm and, and they're trying to navigate that. I completely agree. When we're in the classroom setting, I think we talk a lot about inclusion and, you know, being an inclusive classroom. And I think understanding students past trauma is part of that inclusivity to understand whether, you know, I teach ethics, I've been teaching it for years. And when we get to how to report on sexual abuse, one of my challenges is making sure that if this is a triggering content for any of my students, that I have options for them, whether it's creating another assignment so they can read a different book, whether it's them wanting to excuse themselves from that lecture and making them feel it's okay you're not going to be a bad journalist if you don't want to focus on specific topics because of your own mental health. That is, that is okay. So that has been one challenge pedagogically, just best practice wise I've had in class to make sure that for sensitive topics, I have the understanding that some students might come in with, you know, past trauma, lived trauma, like all of you said. And then the second part is, as Duncan said, understanding students that want to do, you know, tough reporting on tough subjects and giving them the agency and the bravery, really the courage that, you know, as long as you're compassionate, you're ethical about it, your methods are ethical, your methods are, you know, you're, you're using every 
bit of discretion and every kind of human compassion that you can to get to the story with right methods and right and accuracy um, with consulting with experts, with um, people from community reporting with the community instead of just about them. All of those, you know, considerations that we make in, in classrooms, um, then giving them that bravery to go and do the story. I think agency is a big part of this and not, not letting students feel that they're paralyzed by a fear or by something and, and really acknowledging their situated knowledge as well. Professor Serenez Barfouche raises an important point, so I want to take a moment to focus on it. As educators, it's important for all of us to remember that some of our students might have their own trauma, which can make the journalism process hard. We wanted to hear from students about how a lack of trauma-informed knowledge has impacted them. Kate Newman was a journalism student at Carleton University at the beginning of the pandemic. Here's what she had to say. So the first time that comes to mind when I think about being trauma-informed as a journalist is a story that I was writing when I was in my third year of my undergraduate degree in journalism. It was a long-form piece on the R.V. Kirkpatrick case, which was set to head to the Supreme Court. Uh, and R.V. Kirkpatrick was a case of stealthing, which is when a condom is removed uh, without someone's knowledge or consent. And um, I had already kind of considered how to be trauma-informed with the sources I would be interviewing. Although at the time, I wasn't really thinking about it as being trauma-informed. I was just thinking about it as, you know, someone who cares about other people. I'm going to be asking these women to discuss a sexual assault with me. And I need to be able to do that in a way that doesn't cause more harm. Um, what I didn't think about was how writing the story might impact me. So over the course of the months, month and a half, almost two months that I was writing this story, I found that my mental health really began to suffer. And part of that was that I was speaking to women who had experienced something traumatic and I had a hard time as someone who can be a little too empathetic. Uh, I had a hard time not internalizing what I heard in those interviews and letting that really impact me. Uh, but I also found that the content and what was being discussed in the interviews, what I was writing about was really hitting close to home in terms of experiences I had had personally. And while I wasn't, you know, unaware that that might happen, I had really brushed it off as uh, part of doing the job, you know, that one day you're going to go out into the world and you're going to have to write about things that hit close to home. So why not do it now? Uh, but when I found myself starting to struggle with my mental health because of that story, I had no idea how to address it. And I kind of just ignored it. And what it resulted in was a story that I should have been really proud of, but I didn't look at once after I submitted it for class. Um, even though I'd wanted to freelance it around, I'd been really excited about it, really passionate, but writing it really just took everything out of me. This story is a reminder of how important it is that we as educators give students the tools they need to be ready for these kinds of stories, but that can be hard. Professor Kelly Roche wanted to know, how can we be sensitive to our students' needs while also challenging them to learn? Um, I want to go back to what you just said about agency, Sarah Naz. I'm all for agency. 
And certainly the students these days are very sensitive, like Duncan said, and they don't want to cause harm to anyone. I worry, though, you know, uh, like, where do we draw the line as as educators? Uh, because I'm always concerned about setting students up to succeed in the workplace. And sometimes we make a lot of concessions in the classroom or in the newsroom, the campus newsroom, and they go in to industry expecting everyone to bend over backward for them because, you know, this is traumatic. And I'm curious to know what everyone else has to say about that or if, if that's something you've considered. And of course, you know, there's no one size fits all approach. It's a case by case basis, depending on the student. Um, but, you know, being being triggered uh, isn't a bad thing. Um, I think, you know, sometimes uh, certainly through the pandemic, we've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of learned helplessness um, with students um, because there's because they're they've been through so much trauma. Um, and for me, you know, I'm always there to remind them uh, of how resilient they are. Um, but I'm wondering if uh, if any of you uh, have any have any thoughts on where where to draw that line. It's a hard question. I hear the concern about, uh, you know, I want to prepare students for the potential of a newsroom that they might go into that may not be as understanding or empathetic as a classroom environment they might try to create. I think some of what I try to do is certainly be clear about the responsibility or the challenges of some types of reporting, but also make it clear that there are other types of reporting and that there are other roles in a newsroom that might be a better fit for people. You know, one way that I try to do that is by bringing in people who have a variety of different roles in a newsroom so that students see that, oh, an associate producer on a current affairs show is a journalist, but maybe they're not the person who is out doing the kind of journalism that I might find overwhelming or intimidating or too intense for me. But it is a, it is a question about the challenge of being sensitive to people and creating an environment that is respectful of their life experiences, but that is also not going to play down or hide the truth about an industry that they are going into that can, you know, definitely be, uh, you know, rooms full of sharp elbowed people trying to get ahead and doesn't feel like a great or safe place to admit that you're kind of struggling with the story. I, I don't know if this answers your question, Kelly, but we definitely spend a lot of time in classes talking about the difference between stress and trauma and kind of trying to shed light on the fact that if you get stressed about a story, it's very different than when you're experiencing a past trauma comeback or something deeply rooted, like if you've experienced systematic racism. Um, so... I understand your concern as well. And I agree that every society needs brave journalists. But I just think that sometimes we frame this word bravery in a way that students are either really afraid to say they don't want to go after a story or they become so stressed or involved in their thoughts about a story that they're afraid to go after a story. So it's a very unique balance that it's not only on journalism schools to provide. I think the industry has a role to play here as well. What are some of the ways we are currently teaching students to report on trauma and importantly to understand how that reporting could affect them? I think one of the important things is just walking them through the for, during and after kind of analysis of taking care of their subjects, but also taking care of themselves. And that's, that's the kind of 
conversation that I think it's really important to practice in uh, a safe setting of a classroom when they're not on deadline to the newsroom that, that, of course, the timeline is going to be massively condensed. But at least if they can see that that before, during and after process broken down through the course of a term, uh, they'll be able to to then understand that 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 can be worked into their daily process if they end up in a daily newsroom. Yeah, for for a lot of sensitive situations, which we talk about, especially in the ethics class, we do a lot of role play. Duncan just mentioned just putting thinking about students in 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 really um, tough situations to to the extent that you know it's class appropriate and just kind of trying to talk with them about how they would approach a problem, how they would approach an interview subject that's gone through a lot, but also inviting guest speakers has been a really big learning experience for my students because there are areas where, you know, I don't have the experience or my students have never met someone with that experience of reporting. And when someone from the industry who has worked in this, a journalist who has really worked on the issue, for example, every year I have the wonderful Wamish Hamilton to come to class and talk about reporting on, you know, residential schools. And the way he talks about the trauma involved with this reporting and how he deals with it and how the way that he works through it, it's very different experience that when students are in the presence of that raw knowledge really about an issue that has been traumatic for the audience and the journalists as well. So really trying to bring in case studies and examples and guest speakers and people that have gone through really sensitive and tough stories and how they have dealt with them um, within themselves and how how they're dealing with the job, I think has been um, some of the ways that is exploring. And there are a lot of studies of how pedagogical innovations like reflective practice practice techniques and all of that are happening in different universities. But I think these have been the most beneficial to the classes that I teach. What about you, Kelly? I think by offering courses on Indigenous communities and Black communities and how to report for them. Somebody mentioned earlier how to report with them. I think a lot of the talks that we've had about reconciliation in particular have opened the doors to actually address trauma head on because we'll get into intergenerational trauma. Um, and that often prompts a lot of discussions with students. And then it, it leads, it's sort of a pathway to, to other topics. So I think having those discussions with students is really, really important. Um, a lot of the times, even if the course, if there's a module in a course that focuses on indigenous or black communities, in particular, there will always be other students in the in the class who uh, end up talking about their own lived experiences. And I think it becomes a really enriching conversation for all of the students. And then they really start connecting the dots and thinking about, you know, their own identities and things that have happened in their own lives and how they can relate. And I think it makes them better, um, better reporters for sure. And they come out of it with a lot more um, awareness. I think a small thing we do also is just, you know, really encouraging students to unpack any sort of trauma of their own. I know they often come into my office and I'm sure yours to talk about some of the issues that they've had. And I think as educators now, we've come a long way in terms of being empathetic and compassionate to students and not dismissing them and encouraging them to seek the appropriate resources. And, you know, also remind them that they can still do this job, even if they've personally been affected by a lot of trauma or or intergenerational trauma. I think that's a really important reminder, Kelly. 
I think that we have all maybe, um, you know, touched on this, but I wonder if we might explore further why we think it is that journalism schools or journalism programs, why do we think that there has been some reluctance to include trauma-informed approaches in curricula? I have to wonder how much of it is a holdover of the maleness of the journalism profession, um, you know, and, and just how reluctant uh, men have been to talk, period. <laughs> and and so we, we certainly know that of the newsrooms of old, that the, the baseball, there's no crying in baseball. Well, that's also a sports analogy and and the same kind of spirit of of high competitive male sports is the same kind of energy that male journalists brought in a certain period of journalism. The first wave of women that came into the newsrooms needed to man up if they were going to, and I put that in quotations, they needed to man up if they were going to succeed in a a largely uh, male newsroom. Of course, we've seen a huge shift now in terms of the number of women that are involved in our newsrooms, and they are now the majority for the most part, and even in many cases, the majority of leadership as well. But I still wonder if there's a holdover uh, or hangover, you might want to call, of that kind of that male sense that that these are touchy-feely topics. Um, you know, the, the lack of, of interest in exploring, uh, emotional intelligence and how important that is to both working with your colleagues, but also doing good journalism. I think that that has to do with what I would say are stereotypically male approaches to communication and, and an interaction period. And so, there's a shift there. I mean, I think we're, I think I would hope, I would like to say toxic masculinity is beginning to be spoken about and named and called out and shifted. But I think that's, it's part of the reason why we're still having problems in newsrooms and we're still having problems in journalism schools is older generation, their influence is still very much part of the culture of newsrooms. Kelly, I see you nodding. Do you want to jump in? I think uh, that older generation is also um, typically the ones in charge of of the J schools, right? And um, absolutely, there's a there's a generational divide. I have seen a willingness to do things better. There's a fear of getting cancelled, and as Duncan just pointed out, toxic masculinity rules. So I think you know. Um, the boomer way stereotypically is the way it's always been done. You know, why would, why would we change anything? But I think a lot of those boomers have, have seen the way trauma has affected their peers and how, you know, 30 years of, of crime reporting <laughs> can really harden you and take you to some, some places where you're just, you're just struggling, um, you know, years later. So I think everybody knows that we need to make serious changes. Um, in the way things are done, both in industry as well as in the J schools. But, you know, at the same time, um, the people in charge are human and they're afraid of, of doing the wrong thing, um, and, and saying the wrong thing. And, um, I always joke about the generational divide because I'm a geriatric millennial and I often joke that I'm the bridge in between two very, very different worlds. Um, and I often have to, um, you know, play a bit of a diplomatic role or even, uh, even translate, you know? So, uh, students will, will say things to me. And then, you know, in a faculty meeting, I'll have to break it down and say, well, this is what they want. You know, this is what they mean when they do this uh, or when they do that. 
I think, as you've said, in many ways, journalism schools look and act a lot like news organizations and are populated by folks who have left news organizations, myself included. And so there is a certain culture that exists in a newsroom, and some of that culture is replicated in journalism schools. I do also think that there is a feeling that there isn't enough time and that we need to teach students so many things. And particularly, uh, you know, since since 2015 and the sort of rise of fake news and also the rise rather of calls of fake news or accusations of fake news, but that like we spend so much time now having to talk about things like myths and disinformation and what are an agreed upon set of facts that, you know, I think there was a time when we maybe didn't need to think about that so seriously. I think there is a feeling of unpreparedness and a lack of knowledge, even though I think organizations like the DART Center and the Canadian Journalism Forum on violence and trauma have made that knowledge pretty accessible. Uh, if you wanted to teach a course today on trauma-informed reporting, there's a lot of material out there. Um, you can find it on the internet and you could probably put together a three-hour class pretty easily. But I think there is also this deeper fear that I'm not a clinician. I don't know enough about mental health. It's not mine. I'm really glad that Duncan brought up the point of gender. It is one piece of this puzzle that kind of flummoxes me. When I look back at the taking care survey and the data that we collected, you know, 59% of the respondents were, would identify themselves as women, 38 and a half identified themselves as men. I see that reflected in my classes and those who seem particularly engaged when the topic of trauma informed reporting comes up. Um, and so it is really interesting to hope that or to wonder, is that sort of, uh, is that part of the equation going to continue to be dismantled as we as we move further into this century? I certainly hope it will. We have talked so much about the ways in which we are already teaching some of this stuff, the ways in which we might hope to teach more of this, the absence of this material in the curricula. And, you know, I wondered if I might ask us each to speak about one key competency or skill that we think a trauma-informed journalist might or ought to have. We had the privilege of sharing our thoughts about this earlier, and I know that others are going to talk about the importance of transparency. I'm going to talk about something that didn't occur to me early on as a journalist, which is accountability. I think there, in the newsroom that I grew up in, your responsibility to a subject ended once the camera guy, you know, pressed stop and we had it in the tape and everyone went, yeah, we got it. And then you you ran back to the newsroom and celebrated and got it on the air. Uh, and there wasn't much thought about what happened to the person who you had just interviewed afterwards. So what I try to share with my students is the importance of being accountable to your story subjects after the interview, in the immediate, you know, minutes after the interview, hours, days after an interview, it's really crucial uh, that that you are there for that person. Um, and and as to to echo your words, Matthew, I am not a counselor, I am not a clinician, I am none of those things, but I can be there to listen, if need be, uh, you know, try to connect that person with someone who can help if there are issues. But also that continuing relationship, I think what we understand now is how much anxiety it is for people. And again, I, I often work in long form, so this is not daily news necessarily, but the anxiety builds in people when they don't know what's coming. 
um, how their story is going to be presented. And so it's really important that you stay in touch with people, remain accountable to them. And then yet again, once a story is published or goes to air, to reach out and say, to, to remain accountable to them. And if there are, this is, this doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have the story subjects, uh, seal of approval on your story, but it does mean that you need to hear them out if, if, uh, whether it's a good, uh, or bad reaction. And all of those things are really critical to making sure that someone who has survived trauma has an experience of control over the whole interaction of dealing with a journalist. Great. Thank you so much. Uh, Sarah Naz. For me, trauma-informed journalist is a journalist who knows the kind of trauma that is inflicted to to the subjects that they're covering, to the sources, to people that they're talking to, but also to themselves, like understanding what does this story do to me and recognizing that whether it's stress or whether it's actual trauma, recognizing where to get help. And also as trauma-informed reporting advises us, of course, understanding the trauma involved with, you know, the people they are reporting on. So for me, it's really the recognition of what is happening and how they can help help themselves after they've done a story, during their doing a story. And as Duncan mentioned, I'm going backwards before they've started a story, really taking those steps to take care of their subjects, but also themselves. I think some of the skills that I would like to focus on, or that I hope students leave with, is is in that before stage, um, particularly the work they do to gain a source's trust through being transparent about who they are and what their motivations are that they get informed consent, not just a, a sort of yeah. a nod at the scene of a crime, but rather, you know, informed consent and people feeling that they have all the information and the ability to say no. And then a, a real clear articulation of what the story is and why you want to speak to them, which is something that I struggled with sometimes. I didn't actually know or could articulate why my editor had sent me to do this thing. I just knew that I was assigned it. And that you were the person that I wanted to talk to. And I think that as part of that is the sort of the pre-interview conversation that a journalist has with a person that I think matters so much in towards trust and transparency and informed consent. You know, there's an art to telling a person all of what we need from them and maybe giving them an out and then giving them some space to think about that and then hoping that they come back and say, yes, I, I will chat with you. Again, it's harder to do that or you have less time to do that in a breaking news or fluid environment. But I find that the outcome of that is often people who are less harmed by the process and less surprised by what you come up with at the end. And so, um, and I, and I gr- agree with Duncan that there is so much anxiety that people might feel about where is the story going? What's it going to look like? And so, all of that can kind of comes into that pre-conversation that you have with someone that I think is is really where you get your chance to establish yourself. And you get kind of one shot at that. If I don't approach you very well, maybe I get a chance to come back. But I think that that you have to really kind of figure out. I encourage students to actually kind of drop a bit of a script, a way in which that they can get used to 
practicing how they might want to uh, say what they need to say to someone. That also includes a, a genuine recognition of the person's trauma as a starting point. Are there any light bulb moments or, or final thoughts that folks are, are dying to share? I have something I'd like to share. I just remembered. I have told students, um, I've been pretty open um, uh, about something that I experienced a few years ago. Um, there was a, a missing child um, in the GTA, Greater Toronto Area. And um, she ended up... Um, it was a little girl whose father killed her and then killed himself. And I, for some reason, um, was just moved to, to tears by this. And my curiosity took me, uh, into a therapy appointment. Um, and I unpacked it with my, with my therapist. And I said, you know, I can't stop crying over this little girl whose father killed her. And I, I don't know her. Um, you know, what is happening to me? And it was only then did I realize all these years later, um, how, you know, going to scene after scene and funeral after funeral, I'm so, I've been so desensitized to all of it. Right. And I never, um, I never shed a tear for, for any of, of the victims, um, that I wrote about or covered, so I sat there kind of dumbfounded in therapy and I was like, I can't believe, you know, these things that happened all these years ago, it's finally coming out now. But when I shared that with my students, um, it was so normal to them um, because they're so far ahead of us in terms of connecting all of these dots. And here I am, you know, I'm 41 now. This was, I think, a couple of years ago. So I was in my late thirties and I was telling these students because it was such a profound um, light bulb moment for me. But to them, it was, it was complete, like, you know, they've been talking about this for the last 10 years. And they're like, well, of course it affected you. Like, how could it not affect you? So I think, you know, even us being, being open, um, with them and maybe not, you know, we can certainly tell the war stories, but, but sharing our own experiences of how, um, trauma has affected us on the job. I think that makes us, uh, better in the classroom. And I think that helps us, uh, collectively, be the profs or the editors or the producers that we never had in terms of, you know, forcing um, radical change uh, in the industry uh, and in J schools. I think something that you said, Kelly, that resonated with me, um, uh, I see a psychologist and he sometimes does this exercise where I, you know, I might be, you know, uh, telling him about something in my life and, and he, he stops and says, okay, what would a person 10,000 feet above you looking down on your life, think about this situation. What conclusions would they make and how do those conclusions differ from the conclusions that you're making? And I share that here because I think that there would be a way to apply this to journalism and that, you know, uh, would if you just covered something very difficult the week after you covered something very difficult, a month after you covered something very difficult and you were struggling to understand why you were impacted, that 10,000 foot view, the person who is outside of your life looking in would go, like you said, Kelly, so beautifully, well, of course it affected you. How could it not affect you? And I think that that sort of, uh, that can maybe encourage us or what I'm hoping it's encouraging me to do is be gentler on ourselves when things do impact us. 
It is really important to understand the impact of trauma on ourselves and the people who are part of our stories. It is a form of compassion that can lead to more thoughtful reporting. And that can start with what we're teaching students in the classroom. Next up on the Force Change podcast, we're going to talk about how events during the pandemic revealed the depth of systemic racism in our industry. Un balado en français existe. Des étudiantes et des étudiants y font entendre leur voix. Ils décrivent de quelle façon la pandémie a brûlé leur formation en journalisme et comment ils se sont débrouillés. Jean-Sébastien Marié parle de journalisme de données. Christiana Alexiou nous amène dans ses réflexions sur une pédagogie empathique et gentille. Chantal Franqueur est à l'animation. Force Change is a podcast produced for Facts and Frictions, Fait et Friction, by journalism students at Carleton University and at Université du Québec à Montréal. And it's a part of a research project led by Trisha Odette Longo, Chantal Franqueur, Christine Crowther, Shanaz Kermali, and myself, Nanaba Duncan. Facts and Friction's mission is to promote diversity of discourse on emerging issues and controversies in journalism and journalism education. It's published by J Schools Canada, Canada's national organization for post-secondary journalism programs. Force Change, the podcast and special issue were made possible thanks to funding and support from the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada and J Schools Canada. It's also supported by Carleton University's Future Learning Lab, the School of Journalism and Communication, the Faculty of Public Affairs, and the Office of the Vice President. This episode was produced by Wafa El Reyes. Our production coordinator is Nathan Fung. Senior producer and host is me, Nanaba Duncan. Thank you for listening.